0: Uh, You remember these contraptions? You know, before personal injury lawsuits, they used to be on playgrounds. Uh, Some of us called them teeter-totters. Some of us know them as seesaws. But they taught us as kids, they taught us about balance. I mean, there were other things on the playground you could do by yourself. You could swing by yourself. But you couldn't teeter-totter by yourself. You needed somebody else and someone of roughly the same size to make this thing go up and down. Well, today, the theme of our study in God's Word is going to be balance, balance. We're in the third and final week, three-part series called The Gospel, Homosexuality, and the Church. First week of the series, we took a look at what the Bible says about homosexuality. Second week of the series... I interviewed a young man named Tyler who was open and honest, willing to tell us about what it's like to struggle with same-sex attractions. Today, we're going back to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about how we ought to treat people who identify themselves as gay. And the key is going to be balance. Two things we got to keep in balance. What are those two things? Well, you're going to find them in Ephesians 4, verse 15. So, would you take your Bible... Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at half a dozen key texts today. And while you're turning, let me say that uh, you may have noticed that the first part of our service was kind of stripped down. Our programming team did that on purpose. This is a very unique service. Because of the importance of what I have to say and all that we have to cover, the programming team has given me an entire hour in which to do it. So buckle your seatbelt. Look look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 15, this is the balance. Instead, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul says, here's how you grow up in the Christian life. You learn how to speak the truth, God's truth, God's word. How to speak the truth in love to other people. Okay. The balance is truth and love. Ta-da! Now, the fact of the matter is, most of us are more weighted one direction than the other. We're not evenly balanced. Some of us are truth people. We know the truth, what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. We covered it a couple weeks ago. God has made us, sexually speaking, for heterosexual relationships. And throughout God's word, he prohibits homosexual behaviors. That's the truth of God's word. Now, if you're a truth person, you say, yeah, that's really important stuff. But I want to tell you, if that's all that gay people ever hear come out of your mouth, the truth, you will never have a genuine friendship with a gay person. You know, They'll feel like you're holding them at arm's length. If that's the only drum we beat as a church, the truth, the truth, we might as well pull in our welcome mat. Gay people, not welcome. Same-sex attracted people who are wrestling with that, not welcome. Okay. Now, on the other hand, some of us are, are love people. And maybe you've got a gay friend or a gay family member and your heart goes out to them. And quite frankly, you're a bit uncomfortable with some of those biblical passages that labels homosexual behavior as sinful. You know, can't, can't we just set aside the Bible, and just love people? You know, that's that's what you want to know. Can we just do that? You know, I occasionally hear people say, well, if I've got to choose between what the Bible says about homosexuality and my gay friends, I'm going to choose my friends. Really? Augustine, a 5th century Christian leader, said, If you say you believe in the Bible, but you disagree with something the Bible teaches, then you don't agree, you don't believe in the Bible, you believe in yourself. So you believe in this particular matter, you're you're kind of smarter than God. You don't want love without truth any more than you want truth without love. The goal is balance. Now, how do you speak the truth in love to gay people, well, depends on what kind of gay person you're talking about. See, gay people are not all alike any more than straight people are all alike. So what I'd like to do is walk you through four categories of, of gay people and talk about what God's Word says about speaking the truth in love to people in each category. Let me say before we dive into this, this is obviously a sermon aimed at straight people, how to treat those who identify themselves as gay. But if you identify yourself as gay or you struggle with same sex attraction, I hope you'll find something helpful here for yourself as well. You know, I can remember a few years ago we did a series, three week series on self control, which is an issue I wrestle with. And I was just so glad when that series was done. You know, it's painful to hear about something you know, that needs to be fixed in your life, that God's Word addresses. So my hope and prayer is that those of you who are struggling in this area of sexual identity, that God will be speaking to you, and you'll hang in there during this series. So, let's start at one end of the spectrum, an extreme, how do you speak the truth in love? This is the first category. If you haven't gotten your outline out yet, I'd encourage you to get it out and jot down. I've got four tips for each of these categories. Times four categories, 16-point sermon. Yeah, aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Gay activists. Gay activists. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now, I'm talking about people who are militant about their homosexuality. Here's an interesting set of statistics. Okay, according to the most recent studies, gays and lesbians make up about 3% of our population. However, in 2011, Gallup did a poll and discovered that Americans believe that gays and lesbians make up 25% of the population. And if you're 18 to 29 years old, you believe they make up 30% of the population. Now, how is that? You know, if you're in this last category, you believe one in three people are gay, and yet the reality is one in 33 people. How did this happen? Well, the way it happened is gay activists have done a really good job of promoting their agenda with, with the help of media. And so June is now by presidential Declaration Gay Pride Month, and October is LGBT Awareness Month, and October 11th is National Coming Out Day, and gay clubs for students have grown exponentially on middle school and high school campuses, encouraging young people to identify as LGBT, and traditional sexual morality has been redefined as bigotry. In fact, in Canada... If you say that the Bible teaches homosexual behavior is sinful, you can be prosecuted for hate crime. And here in our country, state after state is making gay marriage, which God's Word said, it says is not a marriage, is making it legal. Gay activists have had a ginormous influence on our culture. So how do we speak the truth in love to gay activists? Well, the Bible verse that I've chosen... For this particular group is Matthew chapter five, verse 13. So if your Bible's open to Matthew five, this is from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. It's directed to his followers. He says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness." How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You need to understand in Jesus' day, salt was not used primarily for seasoning food. It was used primarily for preserving food. if You went down to the the local meat market and you bought a couple of steaks to throw on the grill. You better grill those steaks soon or they're going to rot. Or... If you have some salt, you could rub salt into the steaks and it would preserve them for a time. Jesus says to his followers, you're the salt of the earth. Your responsibility is to preserve the culture, to keep it from rotting. Now, gay activists might not like it when we push back on their agenda because our goal is to keep the culture from from rotting. But this is the way we love them because they benefit from this culture that we're, we're helping to preserve. In fact, Jesus says to his followers, look at the verse again. He says, if you stop being salty, yeah, what good are you? If, if you're not willing to be salty, what what good are you? So, how do you speak the truth in love to gay activists? For applications here. First one, and this is probably going to surprise you, look for common causes. Look for common causes. Gay activists are not wrong about everything. You know what's the old saying? Even a stopped clock is correct twice a day. Right? So gay activists might be more inclined to listen to our perspective if we stopped vilifying them and searched for common ground. By the way, some of us probably need to do this with our president as well. You know, even though we disagree with him, it's not helpful to vilify him. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, looking for common ground. Bill Henson, whose story was told in the video before the sermon, is getting to be a friend of mine. Okay, he's been a guy I've consulted as I prepared for this series, Bill leads a ministry to the LGBT community in the Boston area. And one of his goals is to connect churches with the LGBT community and get them working together on things they could work together on, such as anti bullying campaigns. And there's a lot of bullying that goes on to school campuses. You know, suicide, teens, suicide prevention campaigns. You know, get them working together. I'll give you another example Common Cause. Luis Palau is a world-renowned evangelist along the lines of Billy Graham. His headquarters are in Portland, Oregon. Now, now, Portland is a city with a gay mayor, with a large LGBT community, and with a very negative view of Christ followers. So Luis P- Palau went to the mayor's office and he said, Mayor, you know, we Christ followers, we would lo- love to serve the city of Portland. How can we do that? And the mayor gave him some tasks, mostly helping the public schools, tutoring, cleaning up playgrounds, etc. So Palau went to church after church, recruited thousands of Christ followers to roll up their sleeves and serve. Much like what we do, you know, 800 plus Christ Community Church people a week ago We're involved in our Super Second Saturday, serving the community. You have no idea what that does in changing the perception of people in the community about Christ followers. You know, they say that these days in the city of Portland, many gay activists, even though they disagree with Christ followers, see them as a vital part of the community. So you look for a common cause. Second, vote biblical values. Vote biblical values. Now, let me quickly say that I don't believe that every biblical value, every biblical moral ought to be protected by a corresponding law. Just because the Bible calls something sinful does not mean it should be illegal. Now, think about this for a moment, okay? Is lying a sin? Let's hear from you. Yes. Would you want to be fined every time you tell a lie? I don't think so. Okay, is drunkenness wrong? According to Scripture, dead wrong. Okay, you want to make alcohol illegal again, like it was during the days of Prohibition? That didn't work too well. Okay, let's talk about sexual behaviors. The Bible teaches adultery is wrong. So you want to throw people in in jail who have affairs? I think our courtrooms and jails are already too crowded, don't you? Well... However, this doesn't mean that we should never pass laws that protect biblical morality. I mean, when, when the life of an unborn baby is at stake, for example, we should be voting to prevent abortion. If the institution of marriage is under attack, we should be voting to protect God's creation design for this marriage, which is, as we saw a couple of weeks ago in Genesis, it's one man, one woman committed to each other for life. You know, some people want want to cast gay marriage as a civil rights issue. You know, if a guy wants to marry another guy, if a woman wants to marry another woman, it's their right. I even hear this, especially from younger Christ followers, 35 and younger. It's a civil right issue. No, it's not. It's, It's a God issue. Because God designed marriage. I think God has the right to define what a marriage is, which he does in his Word. A definition that's reiterated by Jesus in the Gospels. One man, one woman for life. God asks us to protect marriage in his word. So vote biblical marriage. Vote biblical values across the board. It's the loving thing to do. Salty people make every effort to preserve things like biblical marriage because without God honoring marriages, our culture would rot. By the way, it's only fair to say it's only fair to say that heterosexual people have done more to destroy marriage than homosexual people ever have. Okay, divorce for unbiblical grounds, casual affairs, pornography, you know, a guy and a gal living together who aren't married. Okay, we if we're going to be salty, we had to start with ourselves. Third, how do you speak the truth? In love, take gay activists. Thirdly, respond graciously. Respond graciously. I was having dinner, Sue and I were having dinner with a couple friends of ours a couple of months ago, and they asked me the question. They said, okay, if we're online, if we're on somebody's blog and, and they're promoting gay marriage and they're bashing Christ followers for holding biblical values, should 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 we push back? Should we respond to their rant? Okay should we defend God's word? And uh, my response was, you know, I wouldn't. <laughs> you know, my my personal perception is when you go on a blog, oftentimes if someone's ranting, they're an angry person and the comments are all angry responses and I don't think you you sway anybody's opinion who's angry and you just get angry yourself by engaging in the argument. And so this this couple dinner a guess of ours, they, they, they said, well, follow-up question. What about if it's not a blog? What if it's Facebook and it's somebody who's a friend of yours and they're promoting gay marriage and they're, and they're bashing Christ followers who hold biblical positions uh, on this? This has happened to us, they said. Should we respond? And I said, yeah, but not on Facebook, not publicly. You know, if if they've posted this on Facebook, then the next time you see them say, hey, I saw a recent posting of yours. I I wonder if I could give you some feedback because I'm a Christ follower. Proverbs says, Proverbs 15.1, that a gentle answer turns aside wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. So you want to respond graciously. You know, if you can't respond graciously... If you can't respond without anger, my advice would be don't respond at all because your anger is not going to do anybody any good, least of all you. Fourthly, endure hostility. Endure hostility. Uh, Julia Ward is a grad student, was a grad student, in the counseling program at Eastern Michigan University. She was asked in her master's program, she was asked to counsel a gay client and to affirm this person's gay relationship. And Julia said, I can't do that, I'm a Christ follower, but I would be happy to find another counselor for this person. She was expelled. She was kicked out of the grad program in counseling. Brendan Eich, you know about this one because it happened in the last month. Co-founder, CEO of Mozilla. Fired from his job. The founder of the company fired. What was his crime? He donated $1,000 six years ago to the support of Proposition 8 in California, which was a campaign to protect biblical traditional marriage. Lost his job. I I could cite case after case like the two I've just mentioned. Even Bill Maher, the extremely liberal pro-gay talk show host and comedian, recently admitted... He said, I think there is a gay mafia, and I think if you cross them, you do get whacked. I was having lunch with a friend of mine who, for almost 20 years, was the president of a Christian college. And he said to me, Jim, Christ followers got to get used to the fact that we're no longer the home team. You know, our our values are not being applauded by people in the stands anymore. And he said, that's okay because Christ warned us, if the world hates you, don't be surprised it hated me first. Now, he wasn't suggesting that we, we need to roll over and play dead. There may be times when we need to legally defend ourselves, our values... But friends, we, often got, we also got to prepare ourselves. And we've, listen, we've got to prepare our kids to endure hostility and to do it with grace and to do it with patience because that's what Jesus would have us do. You know, if, if I had the time, I tell you in detail a story about a friend of mine. She's, she was a freshman in a public high school this past year, wrote a paper in defense of traditional biblical marriage, and oh my goodness, did it hit the fan. And what she had to endure. But her response, she was classy and she was loving in her response. I was so proud of her. We may have to endure hostility. Is that okay with you? To follow Jesus? To endure hostility? Okay, let's look at a second group. Second group. Gay unbelievers. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6. I'm talking now about people who are gay. You meet them at work. You work alongside of them. You meet them at school. They make no claim to be followers of Jesus. You know, the scripture I've chosen is one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago when I interviewed Tyler. And I want to read it to you again. It's 1 Corinthians 6 beginning at verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? of our God. Paul says, if you persist, listen, if you persist in sinful behaviors, and then he gives a sampling of what he's talking about. You know, it's just a sampling. It's not a comprehensive list, but it includes men who have sex with men. It includes homosexuality. Paul says, if you persist in sinful behaviors, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, when I look at the list, like we're all in trouble. I mean, the list starts with wrongdoers. We've all done wrong. So we're all doomed. None of us gets to spend eternity with God. Paul says, no, no, there's an alternative. You can be washed by Jesus Christ. You can be justified by him. How do you do that? Well, it begins by owning up to your sin. It begins by calling your sin sin, recognizing it as sinful that it separates you from a holy God. Secondly, it means acknowledging that Christ's death on the cross took the penalty you deserve to pay. So you unplug from the giver of life. You do your own thing and you die. But Christ took death in your place and is willing to to give you forgiveness if you'll ask him for it. And and then lastly, it means asking Christ to come live on the inside and change those sinful behaviors so you could turn your back on sin and begin to follow him. Now, what if you're unwilling to do that? What if you say, well, I want forgiveness and I want to spend eternity with God, but I don't want to give up my sinful behavior and I adamantly refuse to call it sin? What does Paul say? He says, then you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, friends, I believe what the Bible teaches in this regard, which is why I believe that, listen, the most loving thing I can do for a gay friend of mine is to help them see their own sinfulness, just like we all got to come to the point of seeing our own sinfulness, whatever that sin is, and recognizing Christ as their only hope, encouraging them to surrender their lives to Christ. I want to tell you, I want to rescue, I want to rescue as many people as I can from an eternity apart from God. Don't you? You know, and speaking of rescuing people, there are things that we should want to rescue people from in this life. You know, when somebody says to me, you know, in order to show your love for gays, you need to affirm their gay lifestyle, I want to say in response, do you have any idea where that gay lifestyle often leads? I mean, the statistics are grim. Let me give you some statistics. And by the way, no no matter what you read, the statistics are going to be a little different in one book or article than another, but they all are basically in the same ballpark. Three times, homosexuals are three times more likely to commit suicide than the general population. Six times more for gay men. Between 25 and 33 percent of homosexual men and women are alcoholics. The national average for everybody is 7 percent. Homosexuals are seven times more likely to be addicted to drugs than heterosexuals. 94% of HIV cases among boys and young men aged 13 to 24 are linked to homosexual sex. Now, some pro-gay advocates, they tell us, well, the reason for these grim statistics is because our culture rejects gay people. They suffer, that's why they turn to alcohol or drugs or suicide. And the trouble with this argument, friends, is that if you go to a gay, affirming country like Holland or a, a U.S. gay affirming city like San Francisco, the statistics are pretty much the same. So how is it loving? How is it loving to make no attempt to rescue people from the fate I just described? How is it just loving, loving to just affirm? these kind of lifestyle choices. A recent study in Australia surveyed 2,500 sexually active homosexual men, 82% had had over 50 partners. Over 50 partners. You know, that promiscuity, that may disgust you, but let me tell you, if you're a Christ follower, it should break your heart. We baptized a gay friend of mine at Christ Community Church a few years ago. Since then, he's died of AIDS-related diseases. He'd been very promiscuous. But Christ rescued him. Christ rescued him for a few years here in this world and for eternity in the world to come. So how do we speak the truth in love to gay unbelievers? First, first. Pray for God to give you an LGBT friend. And I I mean this. Don't just wait for it to happen to you. Pray for it. Pray for it. God, give me a friend from this background. You know, Christ followers believe that homosexual behavior is sinful, but the Bible says that our fearless leader, Jesus, was a friend of greedy, dishonest tax collectors and notorious sinners. He did not condone their behavior. Read the Gospels. He got in people's face about their sin, but he was still their friend. I love the song, the old hymn that we sing frequently around here at Christ Community Church. We sang it a couple of weeks ago. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. I don't know about you, but as a sinner, I'm really glad that Jesus befriends sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Rosaria Butterfield, I've told you her story briefly before. Uh, Rosaria, Rosaria, uh, her autobiography is called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Uh, We have it for sale at Resource. You know, she, she was living with her lesbian partner. She was teaching gay ideology as a Ph.D. at Syracuse University. She was a gay activist. And She wanted to diss the Bible because of what the Bible says about homosexual behavior. She figured she'd better understand what the Bible's all about, so she called a local pastor. and He was wise enough to offer her not just answers, but to offer her friendship. He said, why don't you come and have dinner with my, my wife and me? And Rosaria came, and a relationship, a friendship began. It was open, it was honest, it was gritty. And it took a while, but... Rosari eventually surrendered her life to Christ. Friendship. Second, ask good questions and listen to the responses. Okay, if a friend or family member tells you they're gay, first thing out of your mouth ought to be thank you for being so open with me. Wow. You know, I feel I feel honored that you would entrust something so personal assure them of your love that you value your relationship with them and then ask them questions. Now, not like you're interrogating them, not, not those kind of questions, but like you really want to hear, you really want to understand their story. How did you come to this realization about yourself? What's it been like with your family and your friends? How have they responded? I mean, is, is, has this been hard for you? And then Listen. Listen and listen. James 1 verse 19 says, everybody ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Third, leak your own faith story. Leak your own faith story if you're ever going to get to the place in conversation with a gay friend where you can talk about their sin and their need for jesus then you got to be be willing to talk about your sin and your need for jesus and even if you put your trust in jesus years ago surrendered as a child to christ there isn't a day that goes by that you're not aware of your sin and your need for christ right let that leak out and here's something you need to understand about your gay friend's sinfulness. Listen, okay? their gay behaviors may not be the biggest sin nor the first sin that God leads them to recognize in their lives. You know, Rosario, whose story I just mentioned a moment ago, she said she could not get to the place of acknowledging to God that her lesbianism was sinful, but she did recognize that her pride was sinful, that her attitude to God was, nobody tells me what's right and wrong, not even you. You know, I'm the final authority in my life. And one day she woke up to the realization, ooh, I'm talking to God. Wow, the the pride. That's what she was convicted of, pride. You know, I have a new friend. I was talking to her at Starbucks a couple of weeks ago. Sue and I met with her. She's been through several lesbian relationships, has since surrendered her life to Christ. And she said, i got to tell you, for women, for women, homosexuals, the, the issue is oftentimes not so much the sex. The issue is codependency. I mean, we're, we're looking in another individual. We're, we're depending upon another individual to give us the joy and the significance and the fulfillment that we should be seeking from God. She said it's really just another form of idolatry. Something else is taking God's place. Isn't that interesting? It's idolatry. That's the bigger sin, the presenting sin. So It's just like all our friends, gay or straight, If they don't know Jesus, we're leading them to the place where they recognize their sinfulness and their need for Christ. Okay, fourth, get to the gospel. I mean, you've got to get to the part about Jesus with them in conversation. Penn Teller, the famous illusionist and, and comedian who's also an avowed atheist, he was asked on one occasion, he said, does it insult you when Christ followers tell you you need Jesus? And his response was was videoed, and it appeared on YouTube. The video became viral for a time. This was several years ago. And he, he said, no, I'm not insulted when a Christ follower tells me I need Jesus. In fact, if that's what they really believe, if they really believe I'm a sinner doomed without Christ, then I would ask, how much must they hate me if they keep that news from me? Isn't that interesting? If you really love your gay friend, you got to get around to the topic of sin and salvation and their need for a Savior because you don't want to miss out on the kingdom of God. You know, let, let me encourage you to get familiar with our little booklet, God's Good News. You could pick up as many copies as you want today, any of our campuses, at the information counter. God's good news. Because many of us are tongue-tied when it comes to describing the gospel to a friend who doesn't know Jesus personally. We don't know what to say. And it's so easy to use this booklet because all you need is a good opening line. Something like, hey, you got five minutes for me to share with you something that's changed my life, and then you just read through the booklet. And if you're thinking, oh, that's so lame, that would never work. Sue told me, a couple of weeks ago, comes home, she's all excited, had made a new friend, the conversation had turned to spiritual things. She reached in her purse, pulled out a God's Good News booklet, said, can I go through this with you? They got to the prayer at the end. She read through the prayer and said, now, does this describe what you'd like to do? And the friend said, oh, I need this for my soul. And she prayed the prayer and surrendered to Christ. You know, got to get around, got to get around to the good news. Okay, how are you holding up? You still with me? Okay, Bartlett, Blackberry Creek, DeKalb, I hope you're still... Hanging in there, we're to category number three. Okay, category number three. How do you speak the truth in love to gay lifestyle Christians? And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Now, the reason I put the word Christians in quotation marks for this group is because the Bible teaches that a person may call themselves a Christian... But if they have no intention of walking in obedience to Christ, the Bible says they're just fooling themselves. There are two Bible passages, passages that I want to look at for speaking the truth in love to this group. Okay, people who consider themselves to be Christians but are living a gay lifestyle. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 7, another excerpt from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, beginning at verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one, listen, who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? I mean, we were gung-ho Christ followers. Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Look again at verse 21, opening verse. Jesus says, don't call me Lord. Don't call me Lord if you're not willing to obey my Father, do his will. And then he says much the same thing in the closing line of verse 23. He says, Jesus says he will not allow evildoers into the kingdom of heaven. In the original Greek of this verse, the word evildoers is, is actually a phrase in Greek. Doers of lawlessness is the phrase. So God's word contains laws, God's laws. And if you have no intention of obeying those laws, if if you feel you can just blow them off, lawlessness, Jesus says, then, don't think that I'm your Lord, and don't think you're getting into the kingdom of heaven. You know, person can't blow off God's law. Uh, two weeks ago, we learned one of those laws prohibits homosexual behavior. This law is clearly stated in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. It's repeated in the New Testament in the book of Romans and in other places as well. Don't think a person can blow off this law and have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, or expect to get into the kingdom of God. Those are not my words. If that upsets you, please hear me. Those are not my words. That's the warning of Jesus. And he warns us because he loves us. Which brings me to the second scripture text I want to look at for speaking the truth in love to those who claim to be Christians, you know, but are engaged in homosexual behavior. And my guess is we all know somebody like that, maybe a family member, even. Say, I'm a Christian. Okay, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, third book in from the beginning of your Bible. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, you you can't tell someone they're wrong because the Bible says, I mean, Jesus said, don't judge others. You ever heard that? Okay, it's absolutely correct. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus says, don't judge. But in its context, the judging Jesus is talking about is condescending, self-righteous, judgment based on personal opinions. Look it up, the context. See, the same Jesus said elsewhere, John 7, verse 24, a verse that you, you don't hear people quote, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Jesus says judge correctly? Then, then there may be times when judging is appropriate, when it's important to tell somebody what they're doing is wrong. You know, I, I was on the elliptical machine a couple of weeks ago at the health club watching a TV monitor. There was a uh, an interview, a CNN interview between two guys. One, one was a Christ follower and the other a gay activist. And the CNN interviewer turned to the Christ follower and said is it true you you claim to love people all people and he said absolutely that's what Christ has called me to do and she said well then if you love this guy here and he wants to marry somebody else you know who's who's same sex another man how can you tell him it's wrong how can you try to prevent that You, you say you love him now, I'm pumping away on the elliptical thinking to myself, I'm just appalled at the lack of logic in a person who makes it to CNN interview you know, status. So, so if you love someone, it's inappropriate to ever tell them they're wrong about something. So if I love you, I can't say, you know, I, I wish you would stop smoking cigarettes because it's going to kill you. You know, Or if I love you, I can't say, I wish you'd put an end to this affair at work because, dude, it's going to destroy your marriage. Or if, I've got, if I hear you've got plans to rob the local bank, I can't say, don't do that. You might land up in jail. Come on, that's crazy. If I love you, I'm going to get in your face. Now, I want to take you to Leviticus chapter 19, a very familiar passage, but I want you to see two things that God's word puts side by side. Okay, verse 18, I want to pull one phrase out of the middle of the verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 18. How many of you have ever heard that before? Yeah, everybody. Jesus quotes it in the New Testament. It says it's the second greatest commandment next to loving God. Now I want you to go back one verse. What's the verse right before verse 18? Verse 17, middle of the verse, Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Isn't that interesting? God's word puts loving and rebuking side by side. Evidently, they're not incompatible. Evidently, there are situations in which if you really love somebody, you're going to rebuke them. You're going to say, please stop doing that. It's endangering your life or your relationships or your eternity. So what do we say? to our gay friends who are actively gay but say that they're Christ followers first. Show personal acceptance. Show personal acceptance. You don't have to affirm their behavior, but you should affirm your acceptance of them as a person, as a friend, as a family member. I'll tell you, some gay friends will say to you, because I, you know, they've said it to me, well, You don't accept me as a person if you're not willing to affirm my gay behaviors because they're an expression of who I am. They're my identity. You know, I don't agree with this assessment, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But right now, all I want to say, I want to reiterate, show personal acceptance. Okay, reach out in love. Build a friendship, a relationship. Share meals together. Moms, dads, you know, if one of your kids declares themselves to be gay, don't cut off the relationship. Step it up. You know, I've had gay friends over on my back patio for a barbecue. They, They knew what I thought about their behavior, but they also knew they were my friends. Second, clarify the difference between sexual orientation and sexual identity slash behavior. Now this is really important. Okay, follow me carefully on this. Mark Yarhouse has got a PhD in psychology. He's the president of the Institute for the Study of Sexual Identity. So he knows a lot about this topic. He he says that some people very early in life begin to experience same-sex attractions. He says, now, if these same-sex attractions become persistent, if they become regular, continuous, strong, you'll probably come to the conclusion that your orientation is gay. You have a homosexual orientation. Now, because Dr. Yarhouse is a Christ follower, he believes what we taught a couple of weeks ago in, in the Bible, that this is not part of God's creation design. God did not make you gay. This is part of living in a fallen world. That's what we discovered from Scripture. So he says, if you have a gay orientation, you didn't choose that. However, now you are faced with a choice. And here's your choice. Will you, because of your homosexual orientation, declare your identity to be gay and act accordingly? Or will you find your identity someplace else? And Dr. Yarrow uh, Yarhouse recommends you find your identity in a relationship with Jesus Christ, which he says will lead to a completely different set of behaviors. Do you follow this? I mean, this is such an important distinction to make between orientation you don't choose and an identity which you, you choose and declare and then act accordingly. You know, I read this in his book, Homosexuality and the Christian, which, by the way, didn't make it into the original resource list I provided because I only read the book last week. I have been reading stuff, everything I could get my hands on for the past year. This book, if, if you're a parent of someone who's come out as gay, his chapter on what do you do when your child or teen declares themselves to be gay, it's worth the price of the book. And we'll be carrying it at, at resource if you'd like to take a look at it. I want my gay friends who claim to be Christians to understand that their sexual orientation, which they didn't choose, doesn't have to become their identity, which they can choose. And that identity, whether they choose it to be homosexuality or they choose it to be Christ, will determine their behavior. Third, warn. Now, I've already covered this one. You know, if my friend or my son, my daughter, claims to be a Christian but refuses to follow God's law that prohibits a homosexual relationship, that I must lovingly warn them with Jesus' words. You know, Jesus is not your Lord. You, you are not destined for the kingdom of heaven until you, you turn from this sin and you surrender to Christ. Just a reminder. You know there are more and more books being written by so-called Bible scholars who are trying to reinterpret the passages in scripture that prohibit homosexual behavior. And that's why it's important that you latch onto some of the resources we've provided for you. Fourth, set boundaries. And this is a really really hard one. And I can't tell you what to do in this regard. You know, this, this is something you've got to prayerfully, wisely determine for yourself. I will tell you, here's the question I get asked most often. I get, I get asked this question all the time. Someone will say to me, I've got a, a gay friend, uh, we've got a gay daughter, whatever, and they're going to get ma- married in a gay marriage, and they want us to come. Do we go to the wedding? I hear that all the time. I'll tell you what my response, what my response is. My response is, I wouldn't go. And the reason I wouldn't go is because I can't celebrate a marriage that God says is not a marriage. It's just that simple. You know, Rick Warren, the famous Southern California pastor who wrote the best-selling book of all-time purpose-driven life next to the Bible, he was being interviewed on CNN by Pierce Morgan about a year ago. And Pierce Morgan asked him incredulously, he said, and you don't support gay marriage? And Rick Warren said, yes, that's because I fear the disapproval of God more than I fear your disapproval or the disapproval of society. That's a good place to be if you're a Christ follower, to fear God's disapproval. You, you don't want to do something that God says, you know, no, this is wrong. Don't call this a marriage. It's not a marriage. Now, having said that, if you choose not to go to a wedding like that, whoa, now you've got a responsibility to pour on the love. And let people see, you know, oh, you'll have dinner together, you'll do this, you'll do that, you'll hang out, you'll get to know their partner. It's just, you can't can't celebrate a marriage when it's not a marriage, but you're not withholding friendship. You know, a woman in our church wrote me an email not too long ago. Uh, She said, When my sister got married to another woman and invited me to be part of that wedding, I said, I can't. And she said, oh my goodness, did it hit the fan. In my family, even my parents, they were really hard on me. She said, but I stuck to my decision and determined to love my family. And she said, you know, my parents... Because of our conversations, they started going to a Bible-teaching church and they've surrendered their lives to Christ and they're beginning to serve him now. It's so fantastic to see. Setting boundaries is difficult, but God can honor it. Last category. Here we go. Same-sex attracted Christ followers. Genuine Christ followers. How can we speak the truth and love to people in our own congregation? who struggle with same-sex attraction, but who genuinely want to follow Christ. They don't want their homosexual orientation to become a homosexual identity with corresponding behaviors. No, they truly want their identity to come from a relationship with Jesus. You heard Tyler refer to this two weeks ago. And i got to tell you, this group of people is near and dear to my heart. I'm getting to know more and more of people in this category. i got to say, I admire their courage. You know, for some of them, even after surrendering to Jesus, their orientation doesn't change, remains homosexual, the orientation. But they're determined not to act in disobedience to God, so they're committed to a pure, single life. And they're finding it to be a life of fulfillment as they walk in obedience to Christ. And others whose orientation doesn't change still find, by God's grace, in some cases, that they're actually able to fall in love with a member of the opposite sex, get married, and have kids. That's Bill's story on the video before the sermon. Still wrestling with same-sex attractions, but married. And, And then there are some a smaller group, but there are some who actually experience a change in their orientation. The longer they follow Jesus, the orientation actually changes from homosexual to heterosexual. So if you're in this group, same-sex attracted Christ followers, let me tell you, I want to do everything I can to encourage you. I want Christ Community Church to be a place where you can flourish. So how can we speak the truth in love to same-sex attracted brothers and sisters? First, affirm their identity in Christ. I've already already talked about this. We just got to keep reminding our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters that homosexuality doesn't have to define you. Let your relationship with Jesus define you. By the way, those of us who are heterosexual, we ought to start modeling this ourselves. Because truth be known, there are things in our lives that define us, that identify us as, you know, we're a mom, or we're defined by our profession, or by our golf handicap, or what. what and people need to see that we identify ourselves according to our relationship with Jesus. That's what's most important in our lives. You know, one, of, one of the reasons that same-sex attracted Christ followers are tempted to find their identity in homosexuality Is because we live in a culture that's sex crazed. We we live in a culture that worships sex. And and so if if you're same sex attracted and you're trying to live a a, a single life of, of sexual purity, your culture is shouting at you. You can't be fulfilled without sexual expression. I mean, don't deny yourself something that's essential to being fully human. Really, who is the most fully human? to ever walk the face of the earth. Who is it? Jesus Christ, who just happened to be single and never had sex. Don't believe it when the culture tells you whether you're a homosexual single or a heterosexual single that you can't live without sex. Sex is not God. God is God. And I want to encourage you to find your identity in Him. Second. We need to offer these people, same-sex attracted Christ followers in our midst, we need to offer them a sense of community. Remember that tragic statistics statistic I quoted earlier, that many gays and lesbians go through one partnership after another. We all crave relationship. We all crave community. And sadly, some of my friends who've come out of a gay lifestyle and surrendered to Christ, what they tell me is, you know, the LGBT community is really a community. You really belong. You find belonging there, and you don't always find that in church. Ouch. we got to work on community. You know, how, how do we afford people community? Well, several suggestions for us. One, of course, is community groups. Right, get in a community group with other people. And if, if you're single, whatever your orientation is, if you're single, I hope you're invited on occasion to a group that's got married people in it. If you're a married person, even if you're in a men's group with other married guys or a women's group with other married women, I hope you'll be looking around for single people to invite into the group. And I hope in your group there's an openness to talk about the crud you're wrestling with. When when was the last time you said, if you're in a community group, hey, I'm struggling with this sin? Not I have a health issue I'd like you to pray about or a business decision I'm wrestling with, but this is a sin that I'm being tempted by. I need your prayer. See, if we expect single people struggling with same-sex attraction to come into our groups and say, this is what I'm struggling with and nobody else is talking about their struggles, ain't going to happen. So community groups, real community. A second place where community can happen is in serving, serving side by side. People need to know that there's a place for them to serve here. Occasionally, same-sex attracted people you know, will leak, well, you know, if if you know that I'm same-sex attracted, then I guess the door is closed to serving here. Not true at Christ Community Church. Now, now you can't be living in a, a flagrantly... You know, immoral relationships, sleeping with another guy, or if you're heterosexual, with a member of the opposite sex. You know, God would say, surrender that to Christ before you try to serve Christ. But if you're trying to walk in moral holiness, moral purity, and you want to serve here, I don't care what your orientation is. You know, we want you serving. One one other suggestion. Many of you come to Christ Community Church with your family in tow. And that's cool. But I would encourage you to look around because there are many people who come here alone. And some of them come here alone because they're single. Some of them come here alone because they're in a dysfunctional marriage or their partner is disinterested in spiritual things. This is a lonely hour and a half for them. If you walk in and you see somebody sitting by themselves, go sit with them as your family. If you've discovered the joy of Other families that you could do stuff with, consider inviting single people to do stuff. Backyard barbecues or going to your son's soccer game. Or or when was the last time you you included a single person in your group? You know, pro-gay advocates say, you know, the trouble with you Christians is you want to damn homosexual people to a life of utter loneliness. we got to fight back with community. Now this leads to the third thing I'm going to suggest, value their singleness. Not all same-sex attracted people, some married people are same-sex attracted, but value the singleness of those who are single. Do you know that the same Apostle Paul who held marriage in such high regard, the the Paul who said that a, a husband's relationship with his wife ought to be like Christ's relationship with the church, Do you know that this Apostle Paul also thought that singleness was a pretty good idea? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8, check it out. And Paul knew what he was talking about because he himself was single. And he taunted his married friends by saying, I wish you guys could be single like me. Why? Because Paul knew if you're single, you don't have family responsibilities, you have greater freedom to serve Christ. Friends, please let that sink in for a moment, because some of us, whether we're married or single, we view singleness as second-class citizenship. You know, he really needs a woman in his life. or she's 32 and not married, gee, I wonder what's wrong with her. Really? You know, Paul saw singleness as a potential asset, a good thing. A friend of mine at Christ Community who's single recently wrote me an email. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And she said, you know, my culture is constantly telling me that I I ought to be looking for a romance that hopefully leads to a bazillion-dollar wedding celebration and then a happily ever after married life with lots of kids. And she says, you know, I hear it in the songs, I see it in the movies, and unfortunately, when I come to church, it sometimes feels the same way. It's about couples. It's about families. You know, no wonder single people who are same sex attracted feel the need to couple up. See, if we're making it harder on them because we don't value singleness, we got to change. We got to start including single people in what we do. Fourth and finally, call them to discipleship. Call them to discipleship. And here's the Bible passage that I chose for speaking the truth in love to same-sex attracted Christ followers. It's Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. Jesus speaking, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, But whoever loses their life from me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So if you're same-sex attracted and you're feeling, you know, following Christ is so unfair because it means you've got to deny yourself the pleasure of sex, the pleasure of marriage with someone of the same gender, guess what? Denying self is something that every Christ follower is required to do. Everyone without exception. You know, denying self is going to look different for you than it looks for me. But i got to tell you, every day of my life, following Jesus requires that I say no, 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 no to self. To selfish inclinations, to sinful desires. You say, well, is this worth it, denying self? Well... Look at the passage again. It's so counterintuitive. you got to love it. Jesus says, here's the deal. If you refuse to deny self, you'll actually forfeit self and lose out on life. But if you'll learn to say no to self, you'll discover real life. I, I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis for those of you who struggle with same-sex attractions and sometimes the sinful desire seems so strong and if this is not your temptation you can still relate to this quote because we all have desires sinful desires and quite frankly just selfish desires we want to do things that will entertain ourselves when you know we should be serving Christ and so saying no to these desires is difficult Lewis says the trouble with our desires is not that they're too strong The trouble is they're too weak. You say, what does he mean by that? Look at this quote. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Lewis says, don't give in to those desires. Say no to them. They're making mud pies in a slum. God wants you to experience a holiday at the sea as you serve him, as you walk in holiness. I want to ask you to stand together with me for closing prayer, and I'm going to ask the pastors at our other campuses to close in prayer at the same time. You just endured an hour of teaching from God's Word. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the good news is this week I start my summer study break, so you won't have to listen to me for a while. You'll have normal length sermons, okay? Thank you for your attentiveness. Thank you for your love for God's Word. I could see it on your faces as I'm teaching you. Now the hard part is how do we become the kind of Christ follower, the kind of church that we, we looked at today from God's word. So let me pray for you. God, I want to pray. I want to pray for those of us who are straight, whose orientation is heterosexual, who are followers of Jesus. There's a lot here, a lot here to put into practice. Help us to remember it. Help us just to begin with that prayer. God, give me an LGBT friend, someone I can love for Christ's sake. And then, God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here who struggle with same-sex attractions. I want to pray that they find this to be a safe place, an encouraging place, a loving place, a welcome place. I want to pray for single people, God, that we would do a better job of including them in our circles. And then, God, I want to pray for those who've kind of put their foot down and they've said, no, no, I'm not going to call this sin. I'm going to persist in this same-sex behavior. And I pray that you'd bring such a strong conviction that they're missing out on a relationship with you. They're missing out on the kingdom of heaven. That they would turn from their sins, as all of us need to turn from our sins, and embrace Christ and surrender to him. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.